Please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from John 6, 47 to 56. Please read with me the verses in bold. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, uh, you, hey, all you kids, today is uh, family worship, and so uh, we're going to invite you to stay in the tent with us for the worship service, but we have lots of fun activity up here. So if you're a kid who's interested in filling out a puzzle, doing some coloring, taking some notes on the sermon, and otherwise uh, having some activity, come on up here right now and grab a clipboard, and you can take that back to your seat with you. With all of the kids uh, coming up, I wanted to uh, introduce myself. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. Uh, what an eventful week we had this week. Uh, pretty amazing that we had a, a, a tent full of kids. And uh, I will tell you that as a Presbyterian church, that's the most dancing we've ever seen. <laughs> Much more than that. Well, excited that you're here. Excited that we're here. We're excited that this is, uh, in some ways, the last Sunday under the tent. The tent has served us extremely well, and uh, I wanted to just say how extremely grateful I am that uh, you've been patient with us, and you've uh, uh, really been generous with us as we've made so many transitions uh, over the last uh, year and a half. Uh, what a journey it has been, but we are moving back indoors with the increasing weather uh, or temperatures. Uh, we're excited to move back in, and so I just wanted to make that announcement that next Sunday, uh, we are worshiping at 10.30, not at 10.45, but at 10.30 inside the building. And so um, we will have an overflow space uh, outside, if you're more comfortable outside. We'll have um, a tent and a huge TV set up so you can participate that way. But we're excited about that as well. If you would, would you join me in prayer as we begin this time in the Word? Lord, you call your children to you, Lord, whether young in age or young in spirit, Lord, you call us all to follow after Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, 
and then to make disciples of all the nations. That we would know what it means to follow you and that in turn, that we might lead others by the way we talk and the way we live, that they would follow us as we follow Jesus. Lord, thank you for the children. Lord, thank you for the children of our neighborhood. Lord, thank you for Lord, the gospel that, is pre that was preached here under the tent. God, we pray that it would take seed, it would take root, and it would produce a, a fruit multi-fold, Lord, in Tallow Park. Father, we thank you for this time together. I pray that uh, you would speak through me, that you would use me as a mouthpiece, Lord, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With all of the low-carb, keto, and paleo diets out there, eating bread has become almost controversial. The enemy of a healthy diet. Now, I'm not a nutritionist, but I'm going to sound like one and sound like someone who knows what they're talking about. The starch in bread is digested pretty quickly. And the glucose, again, these are all fancy words, but the glucose is released into the body quickly and is stored as fat unless the sugar is immediately used for energy. That's why runners might eat pasta, a high-carb diet, to help fuel training or to uh, fuel racing. And here's the deal. If you eat lots of carbs like bread and don't exercise, it turns into fat. The enemy of a healthy diet. Well, it may be the enemy if you have a gluten allergy or intolerance to gluten. But friends, I'm here this morning as a spokesperson for bread. As a lover of bread. That bread is not the enemy. Whether it's sourdough or focaccia, brioche or ciabatta, a baguette or a breadstick, bread is not the enemy. You're not supposed to laugh at your own jokes. <laughs> bread has gotten a bad rap. Well, unless you have celiac or wheat allergy or gluten sensitivity, you have no reason to avoid bread. Bread is not the enemy. Friends, bread has been around since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve were known to have enjoyed a vegetarian sub in the Garden of Eden. Sorry, totally unverifiable. All kidding aside, bread has been an important staple in many cultures over the centuries. It's referred to as the staff of life because it is the basic staple that supports life. And what's interesting is that some form of bread is found in virtually every society around the world. The Hebrew and the Greek words, which are translated bread in the Bible, might refer not only to bread specifically, but food in general. They are often used to refer to the basic necessities of life. The ingredients are simple and have not changed over the years as it serves a basic primary purpose. And to this end, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
And this is a repeated statement throughout the sixth chapter in the Gospel of John. So often that it appears 14 out of 19 times in chapter 6 of the whole book of John. 14 of 19 times it appears in this particular chapter alone. This is the bread chapter of the book of John. Jesus refers to bread again three more times when he breaks it with his disciples in the Passover. He repeats it two more times after his resurrection when he feeds his disciples. But 14 times out of 19 found in John chapter 6. Now let me give you a few more interesting facts. A few more interesting notes about the Gospel of John. John chapter 6 is the longest in the 21 chapters in the book of John. Or how about this one? In the following chapter, in chapter 7, as people are arguing about who Jesus is, they say, has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And did you know that Bethlehem in the Hebrew, okay, if we break apart those words, we say bet, which is the, the Hebrew word for house, and lechem, which is the Hebrew word for bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread. No, bread is not the enemy. Bethlehem is the Hebrew word literally translated house of bread. Or how about this? By the time we get to our section in this text this morning, Jesus had just finished giving an illustration about bread. In verses 1 through 15, the story is about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes two fish and five loaves of bread. Bread. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread and feeds the masses until everyone is fed and everyone is full. The whole chapter is about bread. Or how about this one? The section that we're looking at this morning repeats the word bread and mentions bread with different designations. It says, the bread that comes from heaven. Or how about the bread of God? Or about how about the, the living bread? Different ways to express, again, what Jesus is talking about so often that it repeats it 14 times in John chapter 6. Or how about this one? This designation of bread referred to as the bread of life. That's used, that's, just, that, that's probably the most stunning of all different designations. And in verse 35, Jesus uses this designation to describe himself. He says, I am. I am the bread of life. Jesus is referring to himself, and this is his claim. This is a stunning claim. I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them in, the, in verse 35, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the first of seven I am 
statements in the Gospel of John. The book of John is wonderful. Our youth group is actually reading through the book of John, the Gospel of John, uh, over the next six weeks. So it's pretty amazing that we get to do this in conjunction with what the youth group is doing. But there are seven I am statements. Again, there are seven signs, and you'll you'll read through this when you read through the book of John. There are seven miracles or seven signs that that Jesus performs. The first one in John chapter 2 where Jesus changes the water into wine. And there are seven of those in the book of John. And then there's the seven I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Or I am the good shepherd. Or I am the vine. I am the true vine in John chapter 15. Or when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or I am the door. Or I am the resurrection and the life. Or I am the light of the world. All of those I am's are efforts on the part of Jesus to make clear, just in case anyone misses it, that Jesus is equating himself to God. And that's why it's so stunning. It's remarkable that Jesus would refer to himself this way. He says, I am the bread of life. And so including today, we'll be making our way through uh, seven sermons or seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, a short series that we're calling in his own words. The section we're looking at is a small portion of a much larger section about bread in chapter 6. Previous to our section, there's an interchange between Jesus and the crowd, and they ask Jesus a series of questions. They're interested in these claims that Jesus has just made about himself. Now listen to these. In verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Or in verse 28, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Or verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? In other words, the crowds are asking Jesus, verify your claims. Give us signs. Show us that you are the Christ, that you are who you claim to be. They're putting Jesus to the test. They've come with questions about how he got there. They're concerned about trivial and superficial things and the material things of this world, and they wanted someone who would provide for them food every day, provide bread for them every day. But they weren't focusing on the most significant issue. They say to him, Moses could feed a million people for 40 years, and how about you? You know, for the Jews, if you go way back to the Old Testament, Moses led the people of Israel. And you know the story because we went over it at the beginning of this year in the book of Exodus. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. And while in the wilderness, there were a million people who were being fed. The Jews know this story, and so the crowds press Jesus. They say to him, Moses, our great leader, the hero of our faith, he fed the multitudes for 40 years. 
How about you? Why do we believe in you? And he corrects their interpretation of the Bible. And Jesus says, do you know that it was not Moses who fed them, but it was God? It was God who provided that bread in the desert. The manna that fell from heaven. They struck a rock and the water flowed from that rock. They complained before God and God sent them quail in the desert. Did you know that it was God who provided? And again, as to say Jesus was saying, you missed the whole point of the scriptures. You missed the whole point of the Old Testament. You don't seem to understand because the Bible is speaking about Jesus. And Jesus is pointing out that out to the crowds and saying, the Old Testament, all the stories, even the one about Moses and even the one of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years, that's a story about Christ. I mentioned this in our last series on the Ten Commandments. Sometimes when we see the law, we see rules and regulations. But if you think about why it was given, it was to remind them, the people of God, about their relationship with him. And to go deeper, it was given to Israel so that the people of God would come to know the deep love of God for them like a father or mother to her children. Don't miss the point. And Jesus was saying to the crowds, don't miss the point of whom the whole of Scripture has been pointing. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about Christ, the one who has come down from heaven. The whole Old Testament has been pointing to Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. The seed of the woman who comes to crush the head of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The book of Malachi, where a messenger, a prophet is sent to tell us that in 400 years, a Messiah would come to save his people from her sins. Listen to what Jesus says to two disciples when he appeared to them after his resurrection, concerning himself on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, verse 27, the begin and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, it says, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, all of the Old Testament is about me. I found this. This is not a, uh, I read through each of these books. I, I found this illustration. I thought I'd share it uh, because there are different theologians in the past, the different theo theologians of history that have tried to explain uh, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, New Testament, Old Testament shadow, and then the Jesus Christ who comes, who claims to be the bread of life. Augustine. Augustine likened the Old Testament to a darkened room with only barely the light of a candle. All the furniture was there, but you could barely see it. That's the Old Testament. Or how about John Calvin, the great reformer, alluding to Hebrews 8 and 10. He likened the Old Testament to a sketch that an artist might make. At best, some resemblance to the final painting, but it's just an etch, just a sketch, just an etching of a sketch that you don't see the whole picture. 
Robert Murray McShane, a minister in Scotland in the early 1800s, says about the Old Testament that it's like the difference between a bride just before the wedding and the bride after the wedding, after the veil has been removed. Or Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says the Old Testament is like a man who is standing before a wall. And if you're vertically challenged like me, a man standing behind a wall, a person standing behind a wall, and jumping to see what's on the other side. I gotta do this too, right? <laughs> he says the Old Testament is like that. You're getting a glimpse of the other side. Just for a nanosecond. Just a glimpse of what is to come. These people, the crowds, were only interested in the things of this world. They were laboring for bread that perishes. And to this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has sent his seal. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. A progressive revelation. You get a chance to see what God is like by seeing his son. And Jesus says, I am that bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, who sees him clearly and believes in him, shall have eternal life. And I will, on that last day, raise him up. What is this bread? You'll find it in verse 32 at the very beginning of the passage. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who, who gave you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. In verse 33, for the bread of God is not that which comes down out of heaven. Uh, I'm sorry, the, for the bread is that which comes down out of heaven. In verse 38, I have come down from heaven. Now he switches the metaphor, the bread has come down, and applies it to himself and says, I have come down. In verse 41, there's a lot of shock about that, and I just want to no you to notice they understood exactly what he was saying. The, Druze, the Jews were grumbling because they said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. In verse 42, they were wondering how this man whose parents they knew say, I have come down out of heaven. Verse 46, as I mentioned, it repeats itself over and over again. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has come down out of heaven. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down out of heaven. Verse 51, I am the bread. It keeps on going over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying something significant. He's saying, I am that person. In John chapter 1, 
The gospel writer says, in the beginning, it's talking about the pre-existent one, the one who was never created, the one who existed in eternity past. And he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Jesus making that claim about himself, I was there in the beginning. I came down from heaven. In the beginning was the word. Jesus, not a created being, his body was prepared by God for him. But yes, as a person, he is the eternal son of God. He existed in everlasting and eternity uh, past in the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is the God of very God. So much so that Paul, the apostle in Colossians chapter 1 says, he is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. We beheld his glory, it says in verse 14 of chapter 1, we beheld his glory and it was the same glory as that of the Father. What is Jesus' uh, Jesus' claim? What is he saying? He's saying, I'm God. I'm God. But what is the purpose of the bread? It says what the bread does, it nourishes, it feeds, it sustains. God's purpose to send the Son, and then God's purpose to, was to draw people to the Son. It was his plan from the very beginning. And he comes to complete it in his earthly ministry. The plan for complete glorification of those the Father draws. And everyone who feeds on the bread will live forever. And again, Jesus makes these statements to affirm his ministry. My Father who has given them to me, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one can snatch them out of my hands. Jesus is making this claim. He chooses us. He predestines us. He elects us. He makes us his own. This is the purpose of why Jesus came. That he he might make us one of his own. Came to do the will of his father. That he might draw people to God. Thirdly, the greater purpose to give life, to give life to the full, to give eternal life. What this bread does for us, well, what Christ does for us, why is it so important? In verse 33, the bread of God is that which comes down out of, out of heaven and gives life to the world. This is why he came. The promise connected the bread to spiritual life. And he is the only bread of God, the only living bread, the only bread of life, the only one who has come down, the only source of life for the whole world. And God says, or Jesus says about himself, I've come that you might have life. And again, he says this in John chapter 10, I have come to give you life and life to the full. So how do I feast on the food that doesn't perish? How do I feast on the food that does not fade? The answer is this. Look to the person to whom the sign points. One commentator notes, the crowd, instead of seeing in the bread the sign, they see in the sign only. 
the bread. You see here, Jesus reveals a sign that it was pointing to him that he is the bread of life. Sinclair Ferguson, one theologian, pointed this out, that wine, the wine that ran out in chapter 2, the life of Nicodemus in chapter 3, that, uh, that there was more than flesh uh, and blood, the inadequacy of worship that took place in Samaria and Jerusalem, um, chapter 5, the man near the waters who would be, uh, never be healed, and now in chapter 6, these people who are seeking bread that can never satisfy, and when Jesus gives wine that satisfies in chapter 2, life that satisfies in chapter 3, worship that satisfies, and wholeness that satisfies in chapter 5, here, feeding that satisfies, the great question is, where can we find this bread? How can I find this bread of Jesus? Very briefly, I want to share with you what we practice every week. You may wonder about this table. You may wonder why we do it every single week. You may wonder why it's such a significant part of our worship. It becomes a centerpiece of our worship. Because we think that in the, the bread and the cup, the gospel is told. The story of Jesus and the story of eternal life and the story of bread. The bread of life, the eternal bread, is at this table. It's not in a preaching. I can guarantee you that. My friends, this is the center of what we do every Sunday. And that's the reason why we practice it every week. To show us our need that we, if we don't eat, we hunger. If we don't partake of the bread, we, we starve and we're, we're malnourished and we're reminded at the table. We, we feed on it and we're nourished by the elements of, of bread and a cup. But it's not just physically, it's spiritually. God comes to replenish us. The physical components are sensible signs. These are signs that appeal to our senses. We can touch it. If you want it, you can smell it. You can taste it. We feel it in our hands. And these sensible things remind us of spiritual truths. That the bread represents the body of Christ. The wine represents his blood. Communion directs our attention to the incarnation, this profound mystery that in Christ, God became a man. He became flesh and blood with a human body and a soul like you and me. That he had blood. And the blood represents the blood of the new covenant, the means by which the covenant was secured and sealed for us. And when we celebrate this sacrament, we recall the awful yet glorious truth that the Savior's life ended in death, a sacrificial death on the cross. And here's the good news, for our sins. Our understanding of the Lord's Supper is grounded in an important distinction between the sign and seal, the bread and the wine, and the, and the thing signified that we have forgiveness, my friends, through his blood. 
Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, take and eat. He took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the for many, for the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The symbolic nature of these elements does not mean, however, that Christ is absent, that, again, what we're doing is just a representation, that this is just a memorial like we remember. My friends, we just finished our series on the Ten Commandments, if you're with us for that. And the fourth of that uh, series, the fourth word says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The idea of remembering is not just you wake up in the morning and say, oh, it's Sunday. There's a remembering. And there's a practicing of the spiritual presence of Christ in this place. That when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, that we're claiming that he's here with us, that he is the, the guest of honor. And that we're drinking it with him. And that we're eating it with him. At that same place in John chapter 13 where he broke bread with his disciples and said, this is my body. going to be broken and my blood will be shared shed there on that cross he is with us he is present with us through the supper and we feed on him in faith there is a memory that's happening yes we recollect what Jesus Christ did for us but it's a personal story it's not just a oh what a great story Yes, I remember that story being told. But the story we practice because it's a story that we place ourselves in those shoes and say, Lord, it was, it was I who was there and crucified you on a cross. And when I eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, we're, we're claiming that Christ has forgiven us in the broken body and the shed blood of Christ on the cross for our sake. My friends, this is the good news of the gospel. But it's not just a memory, it's a communion. Every time we gather together, we're doing it together. With the body of Christ, those who profess to believe the, that Christ is who he said he was, we're claiming, we're proclaiming with those sitting right next to us, our brothers and our sisters in Christ, that we believe the same thing, that he died for me, and he died for you. We get to participate. We're not just casual observers in this, we participate in the gospel story. Though Jesus is the main character, we're part of that story. And, and Jesus came that we might partake of that bread 
and also have eternal life. Just as physical food nourishes and sustains our bodies for daily activity, spiritual food offered to us in the Lord's Supper provides grace to face trials and temptations, and it's a reminder of the banqueting table that awaits us when this life is done. 